to bring you the truth about cannabis and marijuana law reform. I smoke pot and I like it a lot. The Russ Belleville Show, the voice of the marijuana nation. It's like marijuana ought to be legalized. Good people smoke marijuana. Now, here's your host, Radical Russ Belleville. Good day, tokers and tokets and non-toking lovers of liberty. It is Tuesday, March 28th, 2017, and it's got to be 420 somewhere in the world. It's episode number 914, and coming up on today's show, in the news, a Missouri senator is calling out Insys Therapeutics and other opioid manufacturers over the overdose epidemic. In our cannabis focus, Florida officials omitted key details in the report of an inmate's boiling death. In drug war data mining, I explained to investor website Seeking Alpha that CBD is not a, quote, uncontrolled substance that is legal in all 50 states, end quote. Our guest today is New Zealand filmmaker Eric Rice from the documentary film Drug Laud 2, Scientist. And in the Radical Rant, I uncover the censorship of marijuana on the internet by Google, Facebook, and Instagram. But first, let's get to the news. Covering the latest headlines in consumer cannabis, medical marijuana, and industrial hemp. Now your marijuana headlines in 4 minutes and 20 seconds. This is Cannabis News. This is your Cannabis Headline News for Tuesday, March 28, 2017. Senator Claire McCaskill of Missouri demanded information Tuesday from five top opioid manufacturers, including Insys Therapeutics, saying she would investigate their alleged role in the drug epidemic responsible for more than 200,000 overdose deaths since 2000. Former officials of Insys, a leading maker of the powerful opioid fentanyl, are facing charges related to bribes and kickbacks to doctors to prescribe their fentanyl product to patients for which it was not FDA approved. Insys recently received FDA approval for a liquid synthetic cannabis product that the DEA has placed into the medically accepted Schedule 2. Last year, Insys donated $500,000 to help defeat Arizona's ballot proposition to legalize marijuana for adults. A bill to expand treatments eligible for medical marijuana overwhelmingly passed the Georgia House of Representatives Tuesday. The bill needs Senate approval between now and Thursday in order to go to the governor for his signature. The House bill allows the use of cannabis oil derived from marijuana to treat a list of conditions. They include cancer, seizure disorders, Crohn's disease, autism for patients 18 or under, Tourette's syndrome, and epidermolysis bullosa, a skin condition. Other covered conditions are ALS or Lou Gehrig's disease, Alzheimer's, AIDS, multiple sclerosis, peripheral peripheral neuropathy, and sickle cell, but only when those diseases are at their end stages. The bill allows cannabis oil to retain its 5% strength of THC, the psychoactive ingredient in marijuana. The state Senate previously passed a bill to reduce that amount, but withdrew the requirement during negotiations with House members. The Oklahoma Supreme Court has rejected a proposed rewrite of a ballot question on medical marijuana that was submitted by the state attorney general's office. In a 7-1 ruling on Monday, the state's highest court rejected the proposed rewrite that supporters of the medical marijuana initiative had argued was intentionally misleading and could confuse people into thinking they were voting to fully legalize marijuana. Under the ruling, the original ballot language drafted by the marijuana supporters will appear on the ballot. 
Supporters of medical marijuana gathered enough signatures from registered voters last year to have the proposal appear on the ballot in November 2018. It is the second ballot title rewritten by the Attorney General's office that has been rejected by the Supreme Court. A Las Vegas Democrat is seeking to start recreational marijuana sales in Nevada at least a few weeks earlier than planned, in case something extends the state's current timeline, he said at a Friday hearing. Senator Tick Siegerblom wants pot sales to begin by mid-June. State regulators are already working toward a July 1st launch, which would be six months ahead of a voter-mandated deadline. Siegerblom's bill would install the 10% state sales tax on recreational marijuana that Governor Brian Sandoval floated in January, as well as another 5% sales tax to benefit local governments. The bill would have the recreational marijuana industry operate under the medical marijuana regulations that took 15 years to implement in Nevada. South Dakota Attorney General Marty Jackley announced that Attorney General explanations for two proposed initiated measures have been filed with the Secretary of State. These statements will appear on petitions that will be circulated by the sponsor of the measures. For each petition, if the sponsor obtains more than 13,870 signatures by November 2017, as certified by the Secretary of State, the measure will be placed on the ballot for the November 2018 general election. The measures are titled an initiative measure to legalize marijuana for medical use, and an initiative measure to legalize certain amounts of marijuana, drugs made from marijuana, and drug paraphernalia, and to regulate and tax marijuana establishments. American rapper Wiz Khalifa is stirring controversy in the South American nation of Colombia, where he laid flowers and smoked what looks like a joint at the tomb of cocaine kingpin Pablo Escobar. The rapper is an avid marijuana smoker and used his Instagram account to post several photos of him smoking at Escobar's tomb in Medellin. He played a concert in the city last week. Colombians took to social media to express outrage. Medellin's mayor, Federico Gutierrez, called the rapper, quote, a scoundrel. He suggested that instead of paying homage to Escobar, the performer should have brought flowers to Escobar's thousands of victims killed during the height of Colombia's drug violence in the late 1980s. This has been your Cannabis Headline News for Tuesday, March 28, 2017. I'm Russ Belveld. In the interest of fair and balanced journalism, the Russ Belville Show presents the anti-drug public service announcement of the day. No. 
This has been the Russ Belleville Show's anti-drug public service announcement of the day, exclusively on RadicalRust.com. New beginner guitars and banjos are often constructed much better than ones built before your time. Why struggle? Get a new instrument or fix the old one. The trusted professionals at the Fingerboard Extension will evaluate your instrument for free. Repairs are priced for people who work for a living. Stop by the Fingerboard Extension downtown Corvallis at 120 Northwest 2nd Street today or check out its inventory on the web at fingerboardextension.com. You're not high. You're listening to the Russ Belleville Show. This was the largest audience to ever witness an inauguration, period. All right. Maybe you're high, too. Warning, hits taken on this show are larger than they appear. Do not try this at home. These people are professionals. <coughs> or at least they pay me to say that. I smelled some marijuana smoke in Vietnam! A public service message from the Rust Belleville Show. The world of cannabis is evolving at a frenetic pace. The Russ Belleville Show gets behind the headlines to take a deeper look at breaking news in our Cannabis Focus. Today in the Cannabis Focus, we take a look at the death of Darren Rainey. He died at the Dade Correctional Institution in South Florida. It's a story we've told you about before. He was the man who was put in a shower, locked there by four guards, who turned the shower up to 180 degrees, which, by the way, is the same temperature as the hot coffee that spilled in the McDonald's lady's lap, if you know that story. Uh, they boiled him, basically, to death. Uh, and the prosecutor issued a 101-page report and cleared all four of the guards of any wrongdoing. Prosecutor's name is State Attorney Catherine Fernandez-Rundle, and she called the death an accident. Well, it was an accident. We just put him in the shower for two hours while he was screaming, I can't take it. Stop. I can't take it at 180 degrees. Uh, yeah, it was an accident uh, resulting from his schizophrenia. Like, I don't know how schizophrenia f factors into this, but OK. And from a heart disease. OK, well, <laughs> the Huffington Post has dug into this and Matt Ferner, the reporter for them, has done a phenomenal job in pointing out that this 101-page report omits key details from the police, from the prison, from the emergency services. Now, uh, the review, according to Matt Ferner, was permitted by a person with close access to the investigation who asked not to be identified, sharing non-public information. Some of the photos showed extreme damage to the skin, wounds over the entire body, significant sections of skin missing, exposed red and white tissue, and blood vessels. Now, the, uh, they had a medical examiner review this, and I believe it's Dr. Michael Bodden. The, uh, you've seen him on numerous HBO uh, autopsy show. That was the guy. 
So uh, the, the, these were described to Michael Bodden. He didn't see the pictures, but they, they called him for some uh, some comment on this. So they what they're omitting in this is that the hot water tap, uh, according to a review here, when they were this was in the documentation here, that when they were setting the hot water uh, the temperature for the hot water, this uh, woman, Darlene Dixon, the environmental health and safety officer at the prison, two days after his death was ordered to check the shower's water temperature. And when she turned on the water, it hit the wall of the shower and splashed on her hand and was hurting because it was too hot. Steam, de- steam appeared in the shower within a few minutes of turning on the hot water. But those details are not in the 101-page report. It describes her taking a temperature at the tap which was her second test and using a meat thermometer, they tested it at 160 degrees. Still that's 40 degrees higher than the maximum temperature for hot water in the prison. And this is two days after Rainey's death, her second test, 160 degrees. Now, most people get a burn third degree to burn uh, a third degree burn. If you're exposed to hot water, Longer than even just a few seconds. If it's over 150 degrees, you're going to get a serious, serious burn. So the prosecutor's report highlighted that the county medical examiner concluded that Rainey wasn't burned. Despite the photos showing clear burns and documentation of a paramedic, Lieutenant Alexander Lopez, he's with Miami-Dade Fire Rescue. He examined the body for 50 minutes after it was found dead on the shower floor with, quote, second and third degree burns on approximately 30% of his body, end quote. And uh, they also omitted the fact that uh, the paramedic found the body to be cold to the touch when he got there, which means there was quite a delay in uh, calling for any sort of uh, paramedics there. And omits any of the burn information. It notes that the body was cool, but omits any burn information. The prosecutor's report says the nurse failed to take Rainey's body temperature, but in her original report, she noted that she had, and it registered nearly 105 degrees. 105 degrees. Photos of Rainey's body and indications of thermometer readings suggest his body temperature was much higher than normal when he died. And this is corroborated by, again, the aforementioned Dr. Michael Bodden from the HBO autopsy series. He uh, discusses how the body temperature doesn't match up with some of the descriptions, how the way our bodies cool down after death doesn't match with what the uh, prosecutor has in her 101-page report. The medical examiner's opinion in the prosecutor's report cites causes of death that raise problems, according to Bodden. Bodden says, quote, number one, schizophrenia is a disease. It isn't a cause of death. Schizophrenia is not a cause of sudden death. Now, maybe this uh, this state's attorney, Fernandez Rundle, is saying that the schizophrenia contributed to his death because that is what caused him to smear shit all over himself in his jail cell. But uh, you can't take that as the proximate cause when four guards shove him in, lock him into a shower and boil him at 160 degree water. 
He also points out that Rainey's heart disease was minimal, according to the uh, autopsy, and that his heart is not remarkable for a 50-year-old person. And the indication that being confined in the shower contributed to his death does not make sense. Quote, that would, would not cause death itself. People don't die in confined spaces unless there's something else happening. The only way you really die in a confined space is if you use up all the oxygen. So, according to Baden, quote, what is being described is a natural death. Even if it were schizophrenia and it was heart disease, then why is it an accident? Because of the confined space? No, the cause of death, as indicated, does not appear to me to be consistent with the autopsy findings, end quote. They disregarded, the prosecutors disregarded the testimony of multiple inmates because they said it was inconsistent. Harold Hempstead was one of the inmates who heard he could, or claimed he could hear Rainey screaming in the shower and heard him cry out, I'm sorry, I won't do it anymore, I can't take it no more, and then he heard a fall. But then he said those, uh, those weren't credible because Hempstead, trapped in his cell, his timeline of events didn't match that of prison surveillance video from the night Rainey died, and he couldn't have seen some of the things he claimed to have seen. They said there's no evidence the shower had ever been used for punishment and concluded that claims that the temperatures inside the shower room were excessively high were unsubstantiated. She dismissed reports that the water temperature was 160 degrees and said there was no evidence that Rainey had actually suffered any burns to his body at all. Lou said that people, this is uh, the medical examiner that did the first autopsy, said that people with schizophrenia can have an impaired ability to compensate for heat stress. And coupled with his medication, it could have contributed to Rainey suffering from hyperthermia in the shower and a predisposition to sudden cardiac arrest. This is insane. The man was tortured to death. And the lengths to which Miami-Dade, the state attorney's office in the state of Florida, is trying to describe this as an accident and to just exonerate the four guards involved in this situation is only going to increase that climate of torture and fear and abuse that's taking place. Putting a man, locking the guy in the shower with the water hot enough to boil the skin off his body that the people that first treated him said he looked like a lobster. This is uh, just a tragic and insane story. You can find it at Huffington Post if you want to follow up yourself. It's officials ruled inmates boiling death an accident, but documents show they omitted key details. It's by Matt Ferner out at Huffington Post. I encourage you to check that out. And it's just one example of so many of the abuse that takes place within our correctional institutions by the guards who we've seen in the, in the was it the Milgram experience, the Stanford prison experiment, experiment was it, where they had the half the kids be guards and half the kids be prisoners. And within six days, they had to cancel it because the guards were becoming so sadistic. And that's... What can happen in these prison institutions when they decide people that are mentally ill, because again, we're not going to actually treat mental illness in this country. We're not going to have any sort of health care system that would provide for that. These institutions, these correctional facilities become the de facto houses for housing for the mentally ill. And then we punish them for being mentally ill by boiling them to death. That's what's going on in America today. 
not going to amount to jack squat. All right, that sound means that it's 20 after the hour time for us to take our union-mandated safety briefing for our friends in the Rocky Mountain time zone. Happy 420. When we come back, some drug war data mining. we got to correct an investor website on the legality of CBD. We take on Seeking Alpha when we return. Get your tickets now for the Oregon Marijuana Business Conference happening one day only in Eugene, Oregon on Friday, April 28th. You'll learn all about the latest OLCC regulations for adult use cannabis, including testing requirements, tech and branding, taxes and distribution, and the latest developments in medical marijuana regulations. OMBC features networking with Oregon's leading experts in marijuana, including State Senator Floyd Przanski. You'll also get to hear from author, actor, and punk rock icon Henry Rollins delivering the keynote address. Early bird pricing is available for conference-only and VIP passes, which gets you access to the VIP networking events featuring Henry Rollins and other speakers. It's the 2017 Oregon Marijuana Business Conference. Tickets available now at OregonMBC.com. That's OregonMBC.com before April 14th to get your early bird pricing. OregonMBC.com. You're listening to The Russ Belleville Show. Criminalizing marijuana is costing us a fortune. You can find Radical Russ online everywhere. Warning. Hits taken on this show are larger than they appear. Do not try this at home. These people are professionals. <coughs> or at least they pay me to say that. That sucks. I hate... Yeah. <laughs> A public service message from the Rust Belleville Show. Promoting the end of adult cannabis prohibition is easy because we have facts, science, reason, compassion, evidence, truth, and logic on our side. It's even easier when researchers catalog it all for us. Learn how to gather the facts on marijuana use, arrests, seizures, rehabs, drug tests, and more on this edition of Drug War Data Mining. Today in the Drug War Data Mines, we take a look at a post on the website SeekingAlpha.com. This is a website that uh, is all involved in investments, stocks, and so forth. Uh, so it's way beyond my understanding. I have no claim to understand financials and stock exchanges and all of that that's going on. But one thing I do know a whole lot about is marijuana. So I wanted to address this uh, piece they have up today called A Survey of the North American Marijuana Index, Part 1. It's written by Don Steiger. And the summary is this. Canopy growth and GW Pharmaceuticals are relatively low-risk, long-term marijuana investments. Axum Biotechnologies, a high-flying marijuana stock, may not be all that it claims to be, and United Cannabis is a small company with a lot of potential. So he's taking a look at these. Now, of all of these, only GW Pharmaceuticals is traded on the NASDAQ. The rest of them are over-the-counter stocks, so they're on the pink sheet, uh, you know, penny stock kind of stuff going on. And again, I don't know a ton of, about that either, but I just do know they have... Uh, fewer uh, regulations, fewer uh, less oversight 
in the penny stocks than they do in NASDAQ or the New York Stock Exchange. But where I come in on this issue is their discussion of reasons to invest or not invest in marijuana. So the author gives a basic primer on what cannabis is for these novice investors who don't know about it. And he writes that marijuana is a subspecies of cannabis sativa rich in bioactive and psychoactive endocannabinoids. <laughs> right there. Wait a minute. No, no. We have endocannabinoids. They have, it has phytocannabinoids. This is so, okay. But yeah, it does mimic what our endocannabinoids do. He continues, at last count, over 60 have been identified. The most abundant and widely studied of these are CBG, THC, and CBD. And he says, CBG causes the munchies, THC causes the Cheech and Chong effect, and CBD, an uncontrolled substance in the U.S. and the most widely studied of the cannabinoids, has been found to be effective in relieving pain, nausea, epileptic convulsions, and PTSD trauma. Oh, breaks. Let's put the breaks on this for just a second. First of all, it's not the most widely studied cannabinoid. THC is, by far. But second of all, an uncontrolled substance in the U.S.? This is a mistake a lot of people make. They will go to the DEA site on controlled substances. They'll look up Schedule 1. They'll find marijuana in there. And they'll find uh, tetrahydrocannabinols in there, THC. But they won't find CBD in the list anywhere. You do a, a, a search for CBD or, or cannabidiol, you won't find it in the controlled substances list. So people say, oh, well, it's an uncontrolled substance. And this kind of ignorance is also peddled by a lot of the manufacturers of this CBD oil to be able to fool people into thinking they're not doing something that the DEA finds legally wrong. So they don't find cannabidiol on that list. And they say, aha, it's not a controlled substance. It's not in the Controlled Substances Act. The problem with that is that marijuana is in the Controlled Substances Act. And you got to ask, why is marijuana in there and THC in there? Well, the reason being is because THC comes in synthetic and natural versions. The natural version has already been decided by the courts to be inherent in the definition of marijuana, the plant. The cannabis plant has to have its own THC in it. But when it comes to the definition of tetrahydrocannabinols, that covers the synthetics that are made, the stuff that goes into spice and so forth. And that the fact that the Congress has a separate definition there of tetrahydrocannabinols indicates that they meant that the natural one was part of the definition of marijuana. Otherwise, they'd have made a natural THC as a separate definition as its own. So where does cannabidiol fit into that? When you look at the definition of marijuana, it says marijuana and everything that comes from marijuana. And that would include cannabidiol. They don't have to specifically list it. It's inherent in the structure of the cannabis plant. If it is a molecule coming from a cannabis plant, it is schedule one. That's just the simple definition. So you can't say CBD, an uncontrolled substance in the U.S. Now, this is not to completely discount the article. It goes into great detail about how several cannabinoids are helping against cancer. Uh, CBD is an angiogenesis inhibitor. THC uh, is toxic to cancerous cells, etc. It does a great job informing people of the science that's going on. I just want to make sure people understand CBD is a controlled substance. Now, it's not likely DA is going to go after it. It's not likely there's going to be a lot of uh, problems about that and raids. I'm just saying, if people are breaking the law in this investment, you've got to be honest about that. That if they're investing in a company that's going to be dealing with CBD, CBD is illegal. The DEA has been clear about that. There's another uh, point that they made in here, if I can see as it said, CBD was... Uh, 
legal in all 50 states. See if I can find that exact quote here. Uh, They were talking about how GW Pharmaceuticals is going to face a problem with Epidiolex or Epidiolex. That's their competitor to natural CBD oil. They say Epidiolex is basically CBD and CBD is legally available in all 50 states. No, it is not. No matter what some of these hemp oil salesmen are trying to tell you, it is not legally available in all 50 states. Now, to make this quite easy to understand, there are bills in the U.S. Congress to legalize cannabidiol. Why would they need those bills if it's already legally available in all 50 states? It makes no sense. All right, we got to take a break. And when we come back, we'll have our guest on New Zealand filmmaker Eric Rice will be joining us talking about the documentary Drug Lord 2. He's got a new episode to tell us all about. We'll be back with that in just a moment. You're listening to the Russ Belville Show. We'll be right back. This is the Russ Belleville Show on CannabisRadio.com. At Herbie's Cannabis Seeds, we pride ourselves on bringing you the best quality seeds from the world's most respected cannabis seed producers, all at the lowest online prices. You can find Herbie's Seeds at Herbie'sHeadShop.com. All cannabis seeds are sold as souvenirs and as a means of preserving cannabis genetics. Herbie Seeds in no way intends to condone, promote, or incite the use of illegal or controlled substances. We strongly urge all prospective customers to check their national laws prior to placing an order. Herbie Seeds at Herbie'sHeadShop.com. Proud sponsors of the Russ Belleville Show and 420 Radio. You're not high. You're listening to the Russ Belleville Show. But I'm getting some very negative reports coming out of Colorado as to what's happening. Okay, well, maybe you're high, too. Normal stands for responsible adult cannabis use. If cannabis use is causing problems in your life, consider taking a break or seeking medical assistance. Consider ceasing cannabis use if you have a family history of mental illness. Don't drive or operate heavy machinery while impaired by cannabis use. Cannabis use is not without risks, even though the risks may be far less than those posed by legal drugs. As marijuana moves into the mainstream, more filmmakers are taking a look at all aspects of cannabis culture. These days, marijuana movies are about more than hiding from Sergeant Stadanko or trying to get to White Castle for the munchies. Join with us as we explore the latest in the cannabis cinema. Welcome back, everybody. It's 30 after the hour, and we've got a great guest joining us here for our cannabis cinema segment. He's with us before for his first documentary, or the first one we talked about, Drug Laud. D-R-U-G-L-A-W-E-D. And now he's back with the first episode of the follow-up, Drug Laud 2. It's Eric Rice joining us here from New Zealand. Thanks for staying up with us. We appreciate you being here. Hi, Russ. Thanks for having me back on your show. It's great to be here. And before we talk about Drug Laud 2, let's talk about the first one, because uh, the last time we spoke to you, uh, you were just getting Drug Laud out, and it was uh, doing well at the festivals. Uh, how has Drug Laud been received, and what sort of success did you see with the film? 
Well, I won Best Feature at the New York Cannabis Culture Film Festival, so that was great. Um, I've been nominated for several awards in other festivals. It's been in festivals in Canada, New Zealand, Australia, and the U.S., so it's doing pretty well in the festival circuit. Um, but I don't think many people actually know about the film. It's one of, I think it's one of the largest scale cannabis documentaries ever made. So it was filmed in nine different countries and it has an absolutely outstanding cast, including, well, the, the sequel has the former president of Uruguay in it. And the, the one that I just released now features Professor Rafael Meshulam, the discoverer of the, yes. of the molecular structure of cannabis. So uh, great work on the drug law documentary. I enjoyed watching it. So what's happening now? What is the focus of Drug Law 2? Drug Law 2 seems to be predominantly about medical cannabis and patients' rights. And um, it, it expands more at the end where we talk about Uruguay, where recreational cannabis is now fully legal, first country in the world for it to be fully legalized. Um, but mostly it's about the patients and about how badly the drug war is affecting people who are the most vulnerable members of our societies. In uh, in your filming of this documentary, you got to uh, deal with medical cannabis patients all around the world. Give us some uh, some idea of the breadth of this documentary, because we, of course, here in the States, we think about the medical cannabis states here, maybe a little about ca about Canada. Uh, what's it like for you to, uh, with a worldwide perspective on this? Well, uh, Israel ranks number one in terms of its cannabis research. In fact, a lot of the Canadian and American research programs are outsourced to Israel just for legal reasons, because Israel never had all these restrictions on research the way the FDA and, and the DEA have imposed them on the U.S. So they are way ahead of everybody else, and, and they've got incredibly in-depth data. So they know exactly what compounds to use, which cannabinoids to use, and in which combination to treat various diseases. And with astounding results, um, we're talking some, sometimes 80 to 90% success rates with pharmaceutical products have completely failed or have underperformed. So Israel has, has really blazed a trail there. Um, recently, uh, we're going to have a little appendix to the Israeli segment because recently they've decriminalized cannabis. So the general population is now not going to be penalized for possession and, um, and use of cannabis, which is a major step forward. When I was there, uh, I was staying in Jerusalem at a, at a um, hostel and I came down the steps one, one night to see this long-haired friend of mine that I just made, an acquaintance I just made at the hostel, being arrested. And when he was returned at about 3 a.m. in the morning by the police who had held him in a cell, they just walked up to him and they demanded to search him. And he had absolutely no rights at all to refuse to be searched. And once they found it, they arrested him. So the laws in Israel, although they are very accommodating where it comes to medical cannabis, are very backward when it comes to recreational cannabis. But they've just taken a major step forward in decriminalizing cannabis for the general for general use. So you know, there is progress around the world. That's just one country. I could go through the other eight or nine. The stellar examples are Portugal and the Netherlands. Mm. That's where the drug war has been rolled back substantially. In fact, in Portugal, all drugs are decriminalized, and the results have been absolutely astounding. We had several commentators uh, pointing out that drug use has declined, um, uh, HIV infection rates have declined because that's linked with intravenous drug use. Um, there's 
half the costs on their addiction services that there were before 2000 when they legalized. So across the board, it's just been a win-win-win situation for Portugal. And I think other countries will follow suit. It's just a matter of time. We're speaking with Eric Rice, the filmmaker behind Drug Law 2, Episode 1, Scientist. How many episodes will we be looking forward to in this uh, documentary series? Well, in Series 2, there will be five episodes, and each one is based in a different country. And uh, the second one that's coming out next month is based in New Zealand. Um, it, it, it details the story of Alex Renton, who was the very first Kiwi, what we call a New Zealander, yeah, yeah. To, to receive an exemption from the Minister of Health to use cannabis. So in the 40 years that we've had uh, the Misuse of Drugs Act in New Zealand, that there was a provision that said medical cannabis users can apply to the Ministry of Health and they can be signed off to allow them to use medical cannabis. And it took 40 years, just over 40 years, before a single person received that exemption. Mm. So it was a major breakthrough. But, I mean, imagine how many people have died waiting for access to medicine in the meantime. So it is quite a tragic story, but there's a glimmer of hope and we are seeing a little bit of progress in New Zealand. How about some of the patient stories, some of the people that uh, are afflicted by various maladies and are finding relief in medical cannabis? Any any notable uh, biographies that are being uh, uh, introduced in these films? Oh, yes. We've, we've got um, double amputees, people suffering from chronic pain that was untreatable by other medicines. Um, we're now just starting to film a two-year-old child who is beginning his CBD oil treatment. Um, and so I'm hoping that there will be results there. I can't report on, on whether or not it's working yet because it's too soon to tell. But um, based on what I've seen in other countries, there's a very high probability that, that the child will respond to the CBD oil and you'll have an absolutely great story come out of that, I hope. Oh, I, I have had so many here in the States that have come out and I know there's plenty that are happening around the world now. And uh, we're Speaking live with uh, Eric Rice, the documentary filmmaker behind Drug Law 2, uh, if in our YouTube chat room anyone has any questions, we'll take those as well. I'm interested as someone who has to produce you know, something far more limited than what you have to produce. Uh, what were some of the hurdles? Did you have any hurdles to overcome with the governments of these countries trying to get information from them about their programs? Um, I've had hurdles in New Zealand from the government. Well, the police... Specifically, they seized my camera and my tapes and hard drives mm. and actually compiled evidence against one of the people in my films. And that evidence was used to send him to jail for – he was sentenced to two years, but he oh. served 11 months. So I have that on my conscience. He, yeah. he doesn't hold it against me. It was just, you know, it was just an unfortunate uh, thing that the police happened to raid his premises while my, my camera and tapes – were in a drawer there that I just left them to store while I was traveling around New Zealand. I left some of my equipment there, and the police had a warrant to seize all the electronic goods. So all of that stuff was seized, and it just provided them with this um, breadbasket of evidence against against mm -hmm. this guy. So um, he's a longtime cannabis activist. Dr. Green is the guy I'm talking about for those yes. who want to see him in the movie. Uh, he opened New Zealand's first cannabis club to much acclaim and it was a fantastic place, uh, very popular. And there were factions of the police who were actually supportive. Hmm. And I've even got CCTV camera footage of two police officers walking into the dactery uh, uh, with permission, with invited in there. 
and looking at the vending machine into which you would feed $20 and then you'd receive a, a gram of cannabis. That's the price of cannabis in New Zealand, $20 a gram, New Zealand dollars. And um, there's no, there's no uh, sound because the CCTV um, doesn't record sound. But the two, my two friends who were showing these cops around the premises said that they said, well, okay, guys, we're going to turn a blind eye and – if we ever need to come back here, we're going to phone you ahead of time so you have um, some time to hide the weed from us. <laughs> basically, basically wow. trying to accommodate them as much as they could, um, but they were, had obviously been instructed to pay a visit to, to the premises. So they came, but they were extremely friendly and um, very forthright. But then, uh, <laughs> then cops in the Henderson branch, they were from the New Lynn branch, which was the local police constabulary, Cops from the Henderson branch uh, got wind that the New Lynn cops were sympathetic and they sent in a goon squad to crush the place. And that's the end of the Dactory. After 18 raids, they basically destroyed the place and, and put Dactor Green in jail again. This time he served just under two years. Wow. Is this in any way related? I, somewhere in the back of my memory, I recall a story from New Zealand about pushing a burning shopping cart full of cannabis into a police station. Did this have anything to do with that? Or am I misremembering? I filmed that. I, if you look <laughs> I on YouTube, right. there's, there's a, have you seen the video? I oh, have. Okay. I'm holding the camera. And, and that, <laughs> that stunt was part of, it was the culmination of our tour. We had toured in the cannabis. There was actually three of these buses painted green with, uh, red and yellow lettering saying legalized cannabis and legalized medicine on the sides of them. And we toured the entire country, parking the bus up in various public places and holding protests by, by a smoking weed. And um, the, there were only a couple of arrests and they were minor charges that were basic, basically thrown out. So most of the cops were actually um, accommodating of this. And then we culminated the tour by parking the cannabis outside Parliament and marched on Parliament. There were several hundred stoners all marching with joints and waving flags. And then we sat down outside the Parliament for a couple of hours, just basically having a party while the police looked on because they'd been instructed by the Speaker of the House not to intervene in our protest. And then after that protest, we marched to the police station where the shopping cart cannabis bomb was ignited by a somewhat colorful character named Alan Mansell, who once ran for mayor of Wellington. And he had been repeatedly harassing that Wellington police, central police station doing these stunts. Um, he's been arrested occasionally, but most of the time he gets away with it. One of the times he was arrested was when he suspended himself with ropes wrapped in the New Zealand flag from the beams above the entrance hall of the police station, <laughs> high, high on mushrooms and smoking joints. So he was arrested that time. But the the time with the cannabis bomb, we actually just overran the police station and the cops ran away. They, they disappeared from the foyer of the police station for several minutes while they called in backups and then about five or six cops emerged with fire hydrants and extinguished the cannabis bomb and wheeled it away into the back of the police station, still smoking quite heavily. And uh, Alan had basically uh, taken over the police station for about an hour with his screaming fans, and then they pushed us out onto the steps where we just sat there smoking joints for another half an hour before we finally dissipated. <laughs> 
That's fantastic. What a great story. And uh, John Oliver recently did a, a, a piece on the New Zealand flag, trying to come up with something new for that. Can we get a cannabis leaf on that flag, perhaps? There should be one. New yeah. Zealand's got one of the highest rates of use per capita in the world. So it, it should be it should be on the flag. <laughs> Although the <laughs> lately, though, there's been a crisis in the country and there's been a massive undersupply for the market. Um, and that's that's due to a number of factors, but mainly police eradication mm. has reached a fever pitch, especially in the North Island, mm. where they're using high um, high resolution cameras now and um, computer image processing to identify <laughs> the plants, whereas before they would use binoculars that fly over in helicopters, and it would just be uh, people trying to spot the plants. Now it's been computerized, and they're also saving up. I, I, I'm not, I have to confirm this, but I've heard reports that in the South Island, they ran fewer helicopter raids in order to save up money to buy drones, which will then be automated to fly over vast swathes of the country. So um, they are taking their eradication program very seriously, and New Zealand still has the highest arrest rate for cannabis in the entire world. So per capita, this might this, uh, you might find this interesting. Per capita, New Zealand is spending about two to two and a half times the United States in terms of its um, war on cannabis. Hmm. And the United States, as you know, is spanking money at an obscene rate, something like seven hundred dollars a second or a minute. I can't remember, <laughs> but uh, just an obscene amount, um, exceeding eight billion dollars just for the war on cannabis, let alone the, the drug war in general, per annum. But New Zealand is proportionally spending wow. more than double that. That's amazing. Well, Eric, let's give folks uh, some online resources and ways they might find Drug Laud 2 or a film festival or wherever they might find it. Well, you can go to druglaud.com, D-R-U-G-L-A-W-E-D.com. That's a joke, like outlawed and drug yeah. lord. I just you got, you got, <laughs> I didn't need to explain that, but uh, some people get a bit confused. Um, or you can go to druglord.vhx.tv, either or, and you can download uh, all nine episodes of Series 1 for $4.20 and the first episode of Series 2 featuring Raphael Mishulam in Israel. That's also $4.20. When I finish all of the episodes in Drug Lord 2, you'll be able to download the entire series for $7.10. Oh, very well done. Well, Eric Rice, thanks so much for joining us, and uh, good, what is it, morning in New Zealand now? It is it is it's about to, it's almost lunchtime now. Well, have yourself a wonderful lunch. Thanks for joining us again. Thanks, Russ. Great to be here. Bye. All right, check it out at druglaud.com, E-R-U-G-L-A-W-E-D.com. Eric Rice was our guest, and the movie is fantastic. This check is the Russ Belleville Show on CannabisRadio.com. No Herb Thrasher from the Herb Thrasher Flower Hour. Now get ready for Herb Age Designs for the proud cannabis consumer. Herb Age Designs. Lifestyle gear for the 420 friendly. Herb Age Designs. We've got Frisbee golf discs and durable hemp gear. Herb Age Designs. We've got shot glasses, drinking glasses, coffee mugs, and beer cozies. Check us out on Facebook and online at HerbAgeDesigns.com. And follow Herb Age and Herb Thrasher on Twitter. You're listening to the Russ Belleville Show. Right now, marijuana is listed by the federal government 
as a Schedule One drug. That is absurd. You can find Radical Russ online everywhere. Hey, this is Willie Nelson for Norman. And I smoke pot and I like it a lot. I learned a long time ago that marijuana is a lot safer than alcohol. There's nothing wrong with the responsible use of marijuana by adults. It's time we stopped arresting and started respecting those who smoke marijuana responsibly. To learn what you can do to help, contact Normal at NORML.org or call toll-free 888-67-NORML. Total war against public enemy public number, number one. Ten one. federal criminal penalties for up to one ounce of marijuana. Marijuana is probably the most dangerous drug. Legalization is just another word for surrender. I experimented with marijuana and didn't inhale. This is not medicine. This is a cheech and chong show. Encourage people to use less drugs. I am ill. That was the point. I think we made a mistake to legalize. Negative reports coming out of Colorado. Don't smoke marijuana. We told you the story of how last week my buddy Tom Angel revealed in his must-read MarijuanaMoment.net newsletter that Twitter, the official font of wisdom from the President of the United States, was censoring the word marijuana from its default search algorithm. Uh, Let me rephrase. In English, uh, if you went to Twitter and you typed in marijuana for a search, you'd get no results. As if nobody on earth with Twitter is talking about marijuana. Now, it's not like you you couldn't. I mean, you could get it. Hell, my Radical Russ account tweets at least five times a day about marijuana. You know there are people out there tweeting about marijuana. Well, what had happened is that the folks at Twitter decided that marijuana and pot and weed and herb and ganja and all that kind of stuff. I don't know about herb. uh, Were sensitive content. Ooh, sensitive content like, uh, say, you know, tweets about sexual descriptions or tweets with racial epithets in them or tweets with, you know, filth, florin, filth, profanity in them. And if you wanted to see such filth, florin, filth, you could if you were searching on Twitter. The thing is, the default setting on the search wouldn't pull that up. You had to go in and find your settings and opt in to getting tweets about marijuana and Well, the problem, of course, is that not everybody is that proficient with Twitter, that not everybody's going to know they have to go and set some setting to be able to get their search results about marijuana. So Tom put up a uh, petition on change.org urging Twitter to change its policy. And and we covered the other day, uh, was it yesterday? The U.S. News and World Report reported on this story, and apparently the folks at Twitter Notice this, didn't want any uh, bad PR. So this morning, they reversed themselves. The petition and the media coverage of it was embarrassing enough that this corporate giant and behemoth of the internet had to admit that, well, maybe marijuana is not so worthy of censorship. And of course, why should it be censored? The hottest growth industry in America these days is cannabis. It's growing by over a third in the past year, and it's projected to maintain growth of over a quarter over the next few years. 
Fully three in five Americans believe marijuana should be legalized. Seven in ten say it should be a state, not a federal matter. Three in four believe it's no more harmful than alcohol. And over nine in ten say it's a medicine doctors should be allowed to recommend. So Twitter kind of discovered the hard way that you can't really consider something salacious that three in five Americans can legally access as medicine and one in five can legally access just for being over the age of 21. And also consider that Twitter is kind of like the public town hall these days. All of the U.S. House of Representatives have Twitter accounts. All the senators have Twitter accounts. And of course, as you know, the uh, president, the so-called president, uh, he's tweeting every other day at five in the morning while he has his morning constitutional. To be involved on Twitter and searching on Twitter is part of being involved in the the public square, the public discourse. In fact, every tweet you send is being archived at the Library of Congress. So this isn't just some frivolous 140-character, you know, navel-gazing going on. This is real public discourse that is going on. So Twitter kind of realized that when you got Representative Blumenauer, Representative Polis, Representative uh, all the Rohrbacher, all the Congressional Cannabis Caucus wanting to tweet about marijuana laws, that's going to be hard for people to find that if the Twitter search doesn't ring up marijuana. So congrats, kudos to Twitter for realizing what's obvious here and going forward and allowing Twitter or allowing the Twitter searches to pull up marijuana. So when will Facebook, Google and Instagram realize this? All these internet titans still deny advertisements relating to marijuana. They frequently suspend accounts that promote and discuss marijuana. Let's start with Google, with their AdWords policy. Google's AdWords policy explains that it doesn't enable dangerous products and services. You cannot advertise for dangerous products and services. Well, they further explain... We want to help keep people safe, both online and offline, so we don't allow the promotion of some products or services that cause damage, harm, or injury. So, what would those be? Well, they've got a list. In Google's list of examples, they provide recreational drugs, chemical or herbal, psychoactive substances, equipment to facilitate drug use, weapons, ammunition, explosives, and fireworks, instructions for making explosives or other harmful products, and tobacco products. Well, I'm not sure what weed Google is smoking, but my stash doesn't cause any sort of damage, harm, or injury to the extent explosives, guns, and ammo, and tobacco do. But under restricted content, Google lists some Content that is sometimes legally or culturally sensitive. Now, they won't show these ads to just anybody. They have to deal with the fact that there are countries that ban alcohol, for example. But if you're of age and you have enabled such content and you're in a location where it's allowed, Google will be happy to serve you up some ads for Strip clubs, erotic cinemas, sex toys, adult magazines, sexual enhancement products, beer, wine, sake, spirits, heart alcohol, casinos, poker, bingo, roulette, and, of course, prescription medication. 
Now, there are restrictions on Google's alcohol advertising. You can't run them in predominantly Muslim countries that ban alcohol. And you must target people of age in their country. If you do, then you're allowed to advertise for the online sale of alcoholic beverages and brand or informational advertising for alcoholic beverages. Well, Facebook's no better. In their ad policies, you must not promote the sale or use of illegal prescription or recreational drugs. However, you can advertise for drug rehabilitation programs and support groups. Facebook even specifically mentions, with illustrations, avoid using images of either recreational or medical marijuana. Facebook also bans the advertisement of tobacco and tobacco products, weapons, ammunition and explosives, and adult products and services. However, you may advertise blogs or groups connecting people with tobacco-related interests or weapon-related interests. So, if you put up a Facebook ad for your cigar aficionado club and your local gun show, that's fine, but not for a veteran's medical marijuana support group. The adult product restrictions are like the marijuana restrictions. You can only advertise it if you're trying to get people not to enjoy them. Here's their sex ad policy. Ads must not promote the sale or use of adult products or services, except for ads for family planning and contraception. Ads for contraceptives must focus on the contraceptive features of the product and not on sexual pleasure or sexual enhancement and must be targeted to people 18 years or older. But if you want to sell some alcohol on Facebook, go right ahead. As on Google, you can't target people in countries that ban alcohol or people under their country's drinking age or promote the intoxicating effects. But you can advertise for people to buy alcohol at your shop or to attend an alcohol-themed festival like an Oktoberfest. But forget about advertising to adults to buy legal marijuana at your shop or attend a marijuana-themed festival like a Cannabis Cup or Seattle Hemp Fest. Look, it's, it's understandable that Google and Facebook want to shield the eyes of web surfers from shocking and prurient content. They also want to protect their political capital against conservative culture warriors who'd make the next ask in the state house or Congress more difficult. But as marijuana becomes increasingly legal, their censorship becomes increasingly hard to defend. Internet advertising is micro-targeted these days based on your profile. Keeping a Google or Facebook ad off of the page of somebody underage or somebody in a non-legal location would take hardly any effort on their part. They've both seemed to figure that out for alcohol, after all. How is it we can, not, uh, we can put out alcohol ads as long as they're not targeted at Muslim countries that ban alcohol, but we can't put out marijuana ads that are targeted at the eight states that have legalized marijuana? Are you trying to tell me you can't pull that off, Facebook? Google? No, we know what it's really about. It's a moral judgment by a corporation. That's what it is. It's just a moral judgment by corporations that make plenty of money off of alcohol. All right, that's all the time we got for Hour One. And you podcast listeners, thanks for joining us. If you're watching us live on YouTube at RadicalRust.com, stay tuned for Hour Two coming up, Toker Talk Radio. We're going to talk about uh, an update on that Tennessee bill to uh, block local decrim. We've got the nightmare in Massachusetts that Kevin Zabet's been waiting for. We've got more on that uh, Insys Therapeutics new THC drug and a deeper look at Alabama and their school systems going after weed. For everyone here at Delta 9, I'm Radical Russ. Thanks for joining us, and until next time, 
Take care of each other, tokers. This is the Russ Belleville Show. The Russ Belleville Show is blogging and podcasting daily at RadicalRuss.com. You take a scene, you manage, you grow it, you try it, you roll it, you smoke it.